0: No team goes into the season without a game plan. And Buffalo Wild Wings knows that football fans need a game plan that's built for game day glory. A game plan that should include 21 signature sauces and seasonings, a great lineup of beer taps, and an arsenal of wall-to-wall TVs. All those details make for a game day plan that can't be beat. So, win or lose, if you're a football fan, you still win at having the best game day atmosphere around. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. We do it for you because you're a football fan. The people have spoken, and Jeff Ross has returned for Roast Battle 2. The 4 event features top comedians getting verbally violent until just one is left standing. Featuring a star-studded lineup of judges, including Snoop Dogg, Sarah Silverman, and Jason Sudeikis, this is a battle you do not want to miss. The 4 event begins January 26th at 10, 9 central on Comedy Central. And don't miss the live finale on Sunday, January 29th at 10:9 central to see who gets crowned the king or queen of cruelty. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. My name is Robert Bayes. I'm a writer at the Ringer. Doing something a little bit different with the Friday show today because we don't have a game this weekend. It's a just merciful weekend off for everybody. Danny and I are not going to do our deep dive on the Super Bowl until next week. So we wanted to use this opportunity to get some more voices on the show. We're going to be welcoming some of the same voices that did our preview stuff, including Jonathan Jones from Sports Illustrated to talk about the city of Atlanta and where the Falcons currently stand. We're going to be welcomed by Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders to give us more of a metrics-based viewpoint of the Super Bowl. But before we do that, we wanted to have on Greg Cosell, who I enjoy talking about football with as much as anybody. Greg, thank you so much for doing this.
1: Robert, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel this week,
0: huh? I that's what I had to do. I mean, you know, I we do we got in a nice rhythm with me and Danny and me and Kevin, but I like being able to do this. Especially when it's a game as big as this. It's fun to get as many different perspectives on it as you can because it's always interesting to pick people's brains about some smaller stuff that they're seeing about it or some stuff I didn't think about. But I want to start where everyone's mind is right now, and that is with The Falcons offense, which by any number you want to throw out there, has been one of the better ones we've seen in the last 25 years against the number one scoring defense in the league. And one Kyle Shanahan said today is the best defense they've played all season, bar none. So, uh, Greg, we've talked, you know, everyone's going to talk a lot in the next week about Julio Jones and what the Patriots are going to do to stop him. If you had to guess what kind of tactics are going to be the basis of how they defend him on Sunday.
1: Well, I think there's a larger issue there. It's not just Julio Jones as an isolated player, Robert. It, now you get into personnel packages on both sides of the ball. The yep. Falcons are very multiple with their personnel packages. So what that means is that the Patriots will then play different personnel packages themselves. So it starts there. It's not just a matter of, hey, let's take care of Julio Jones. Uh And the other thing to keep in mind is Malcolm Baller will likely not play Julio Jones. Malcolm Baller does not play those kinds of receivers. So we saw him play Antonio Brown. He did not play DeAndre Hopkins. He doesn't play against bigger physical receivers. So there'll be elements of of double-teaming with Julio Jones. There'll be dedicated doubles where they clearly are doubling him with a safety it'll normally be McCordy. there'll be situations where they play two deep safeties and and it won't be a dedicated double but there'll be safety help over the top there'll be situations where they'll line up and play man to man with one deep safety and they'll live with it and then it just depends on what happens on each of those plays
0: And the Patriots also just do a better job of bracketing guys like that in more differentiated ways than most teams, right? They'll play linebackers underneath and just kind of shift the coverage that direction in ways that are kind of more creative than other teams even try to.
1: Well, Bill Belichick has been known throughout the years, and, and believe me, when in this kind of game, and pretty much in every game, coaches coach against coaches as much as they coach against yeah. players. So Kyle Shanahan will be very familiar with Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick, over his career, has selectively doubled receivers. He's He's known for that in particular in the red zone where he'll often double two receivers, but he'll do it within the context of the field as well. So it won't be something he'll do on 30% of the snaps or 50% of the snaps, but he'll do it selectively and he'll do it in unpredictable down and distance situations where you might not expect it.
0: Yeah. That's the thing is that there's really no way to know where it's going to be coming from, why it's going to be coming. And that's Kyle Shanahan's challenge. And if there's any offensive mind in the league right now, that seems like he'd be able to do it. He's probably up there. So if just looking at a couple of those different approaches. So say they play some too deep, which the Patriots have done a lot of this year. They have more flexibility in the back end than people give them credit for because they can put to Ron Harmon back there and it gives them two more, two rangier guys at safety rather than having Chung in the box. If they do play that too high, look a decent amount of the time. If you're the Falcons, what is your approach? How do you think you take advantage of that?
1: Well, the two-high look, again, it depends whether it's man or zone. They will play some cover two, which is a two-high look, but they will also play what we call two-man. And that they'll play predominantly out of their dime package with six defensive backs. So what that normally means is Patrick Chung will match up to a tight end because normally it would be McCourty and Harmon deep. So Chung would match up to the tight end, and then you'd have the three corners match up to the wide receivers. And then you get into, a potential issue with Coleman or Freeman if you're going to play man because a linebacker would then have to match up and that could be one of these matchups that is very intriguing in this game uh, and I think that that's one thing the Falcons will look to do, Robert is they'll look to create personnel packages based on their anticipation of what the Patriots will do personnel-wise to create Coleman and or Freeman man-to-man on linebackers and they'll feel very good about that matchup.
0: That's really interesting because usually when you are kind of connecting a limited playbook or a predictable playbook with a personnel package, it's when teams get a little bigger. It's when you have more less pass rushers on the field, things like that. But there, that's a good point. If you put enough wide receivers out there, enough receivers out there, period, there are so few guys in the box that it probably limits what you can do from your defensive call perspective because they're just so spread out.
1: Well, and that's why the personnel element to this game is so, so critical because yeah. this, the, the Patriots are very multiple with their personnel in terms of what that personnel can do. The only safety who really will not match up is Durant Harmon. Chung will match up. McCordy at times will match up. Uh, so really, Harmon is the only safety who does not necessarily match up. Uh, and then we'll see. But But I think Coleman and Freeman detached from the formation, meaning that they line up essentially as wide receivers, that to me is a very interesting element in this game. And I think Bill Belichick, he'll have a plan for that. Of course, every team does, but there will be times they will get caught with a linebacker. And, you know, again, there's so many plays, you know, it's like in baseball, Robert, you know, when a guy pitches a good game, you always hear, well, he made one mistake because a guy hit a home run. Well, no, he probably made 10 mistakes. They just weren't hit for home runs, you know, or maybe they were fouled off it's the same thing in football there's a lot of plays when i'm sitting watching tape where i go wow that's a great concept but you know what the left guard didn't make his block really well and the quarterback couldn't quite get the ball to the to the guy so it all depends on what happens on these plays if we're speaking from atlanta's perspective where their personnel and their scheme and their concept wins they have to win on those downs
0: yeah that's interesting because that that couple of guys i talked to about kyle shanahan this week uh, excuse me andrew hawkins from the browns especially said that every play kyle dials up he wants to score a touchdown it's not a we're going to move the ball you know six yards on this play they're designed to do that and he knows exactly where it can go wrong so i i think we're the just the minds the bet like you said the coaches against the coaches on this side is fascinating and the other thing i totally agree with you with the running backs I, i feel like Coleman lined up in the slot against a guy like Shea McClellan or against a guy like Kyle Noy is going to come up mattering. And then the other part I was looking at, just kind of thinking about the game overall, is that they're going to play some too high safety. It feels like the Falcons' ability to run the ball is going to come up more in this game than it has throughout the playoffs.
1: Well, and that's, that will be the issue for Bill Belichick. And, and my guess is that he's telling his team and, and working through this with his staff that if you cannot stop the foundational run of the Falcons, which is outside zone, the source stretch run, if you can't stop that, then you're going to be in for a long day. Now, yeah. they run that out of different personnel packages, different formations, but that's their foundational run. So. They're a team who I think relies more on the run game than the Patriots. I think the run is is foundationally the staple of their offense. Now, that doesn't mean every game they come out and run the ball more than they throw it. Of course they don't. But I think their offense is built to start from there.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And that's always been how Shanahan's offenses have been. That's how the offenses have been from the people that he's learned football from, period. So if the Patriots do want them to run the ball just based on formation, I, I feel like the Falcons will be more than willing to oblige. So uh, let's – oh, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, I mean, you walk a fine line there. It's always easy to say, I mean, look, you know, Belichick, you can almost go back to the Super Bowl when he was the Giants defensive coordinator when they beat the Buffalo Bills in that game. And I forget the score, maybe 19-16, or it was a low-scoring game when he essentially took the approach that, hey – If Thurman Thomas gets over 100 yards, we'll live with that. We just don't want the big plays in the passing game. Again, I don't know if he'll take a similar approach. He could because you can't take away everything, particularly from an offense that's playing at a high level that has a lot of different weapons and and very good concepts and schemes. So that's one of the fascinating elements to me in this game. Not that he's going to say, hey, run for 20 yards. Of course, he's not going to say that. But again, tactically, you can't take away everything.
0: No, and they've done such a good job of getting chunks on first down and just making sure. Right. I mean, Matt, Matt Ryan's yards per attempt on the season has been at least seven point nine in every single game. So if you do, if you look at that compared to the running game, where the best you're going to do is say five or six yards a carry, wouldn't it just make sense on that simplistic of a level to say we're gonna make you beat us by running for six yards a carry?
1: I mean, yeah, but and you're right, that's simplistic, uh, you know, but. Uh, Sure. He could say that, you know what, we're going to design our defense. And it's not a matter of saying we're going to give them yards. What you're saying if you do that is we're going to design our defense from a personnel and tactical standpoint to play the pass and to defend the pass, and then we'll play the run as part of that, which, again, doesn't mean you're saying, hey, I hope they gain eight yards and we're okay with that. You're still defending the run. You're just defending it differently from a tactical perspective.
0: Totally, and then that puts a huge importance on guys like Alan Branch, who's playing very well. Everybody in that and front, and Brown the, and those, yeah, and, yeah, and the linebackers as well. Because I mean, th- that's the thing with the Falcons that they're so good getting to the second level because they have guys like Alex Mack, because their linemen can move. So those linebackers are just as important in that offense and in that defense in terms of stopping the run. It's not just the front four.
1: No, it's it's, but but then you get down to again. Now it comes down to personnel. Uh, if they're if they feel that. Against three wide receivers, they'll obviously be in either nickel or dime, depending on the down and distance. And then they have different players on the field. Kyle Van Noy will be on the field, um, and, and you know, obviously, he's not on the field in their base. And their base has really morphed into being a uh, what we call big nickel with three safeties.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. I mean, that's the thing. You you bring in Harmon, and it's they have so many different things they can do to you, and it's just that's really excellent. I mean, that's what makes them so dangerous defensively. All right, let's move to the other side of the ball where I feel there's a lot of stuff that's being overlooked because this Falcons defense in general, one, I think, has come along really well over the second half of the season. I feel like a lot of those younger guys have settled in. If you watch that game they played against Green Bay, They just did so many different types of things. The idea that Belichick is going to go against a simplistic Seahawks-esque defense in this game is beyond me. I think that for as many matchup problems as the Patriots can produce, the Falcons have an intriguing set of guys that can kind of snuff those out in the right moments.
1: The Falcons' defense has clearly improved as the year has gone on. Um, For those who really haven't looked at it closely, Dan Quinn, who certainly had the reputation deserved in Seattle of being predominantly a zone coverage coach, playing a lot of what we call cover three, they still use that as a foundational approach, Robert. But what they've gotten into much more this year is cover one, man free. Uh, And so they play predominantly single high, and they mix up, zone and man and they're a little more aggressive with blitz. Look, we saw last week the number of times that Brian Poole blitzed off the slot, the slot yep. corner, and he he hit Rodgers a couple of times pretty good. They did not pick him up. And uh you know I think that they're a little more aggressive they have, in a sense, built their defense, personnel-wise, in a similar fashion to the Seahawks. I mean, when he drafted Jones, he's a Bobby Wagner type. You draft of Andre Campbell from Minnesota. He's a K.J. Wright type in terms of his length and his movement. Clearly, Keanu Neal is their version of Cam Chancellor. So he's looking for profile pieces, but he's playing more man-to-man coverage.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's become a big part of what they did. That, that was a big part of what they did against Rogers. They were willing to settle, send a little bit of extra heat. They didn't want to let him be, be comfortable back there. And I feel like Dan Quinn in the playoffs has done a good job of seeing what other teams have done well and kind of taking a little bit of it. And you look at what that those Brian Poole blitzes, that's exactly what... The the Cowboys did successfully a couple times, so I think that if you look at what Pittsburgh did last week, Dan, Dan Quinn is not just going to say you are going to play. We're going to play zone and we're going to sit back. He's going to do an overcorrection of that in my mind. And my question to you is, how do you think the Patriots respond?
1: Um. You know, I think the Patriots, they're, they're a very difficult team to figure out. And, and I'll just give you one example. And again, I'm not copping out, but I don't know how they'll respond, and I'm just yeah. being honest. This past week against Pittsburgh, okay, they lined up with what we call 10 personnel, meaning one back and four wide receivers, okay, mm-hmm. 19 times in the game. You know how many times they lined up with one back and four wide receivers prior to the Pittsburgh game in this entire season? 10.
0: That's incredible.
1: So so in that game against Pittsburgh, they have showed you a personnel package that they had used 10 times the entire season, and in, they did it 19 times against the Pittsburgh Steelers and were incredibly successful out of it. Brady was 13 for 19 for 138 yards out of that personnel package, and it was always James White as the back because he's a better receiver than Dion Lewis. Yeah. So, you know... Now, is he going to do that in the Super Bowl? Who knows the answer to that? You know, so with Bill Belichick and their approach, that's a really hard question to answer.
0: It's tough, and that's I've tried to think about what versions of the game I could imagine happening, and if you look at Atlanta, their speed is really what's helped them come along against the past that's been able to allow them to play a lot of man, but they struggle against the run pretty miserably still, and I'm trying to figure out if Belichick is going to say, let's go a little bit heavier, just pound the ball, or let's spread them out and run it. Which way does he think the running game is going to be more effective? Because I think that's their best avenue to really gash them consistently.
1: Well, what's very interesting about what you just said is, obviously, Garrett Blunt has not had a ton of runs out of three wide receiver personnel packages, but he's had a good amount, and that's his most successful runs. Mm -hmm. He's averaging over five yards a carry when he runs the ball out of... what we call 11 personnel, meaning three wide receivers. That's where he's had his most success. He's had much less success running the ball out of base personnel packages. So that's that's an intriguing element to this game
0: as well. And the thing is, when they play those base personnel packages, when they go to 22 and Devlin is in the game, that's when they like to throw the ball. That's the thing about the Patriots is that they really do such a good job of manipulating you into thinking they want to do one thing out of either a spread out personnel formation or a really bunched up one. When in reality, they're probably doing that to make sure you respond in the correct way. And then they're going to zig where you think they're going to zag. So I'll be curious well, to see whether way. they do that.
1: In that way, both teams are similar because the Falcons will play Pat DeMarco. In fact, the the Falcons, during the regular season, ran the ball 155 times out of two back sets. It was the personnel package in which they ran the ball the most. So both teams will play with a fullback, but that doesn't necessarily mean, Robert, he's in the backfield. You know, we've seen DeMarco split. We see James Devlin split. You know... Both the the Patriots and the Falcons are really good with their personnel, with their formation versatility out of 21 personnel, meaning two backs with the fullback on the field.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you saw that a couple times last week. Devlin caught a pass wall split out, which is kind of like when you're a bad three point shooter, but sometimes if somebody's going to leave you open, you have to hit one just because <laughs> you have to make them pay attention to you. That's right, what it reminded right, right. me of when they threw it to Devlin out there. And then you saw what kind of impact DeMarco had. I mean, he had that long catch on the first drive. And then there was a beautiful play later in the game where Ryan hit Julio over the middle. And DeMarco kind of bending into the flat and keeping Haha Clinton Dix there was was a huge part of the play. And that's what both of these two offensive coordinators, who, and you could probably say are the two best in football, I wouldn't disagree with you, each of them does an incredible job of understanding all every single receiver in the formation on the field has a role in how all these pieces are going to fit together it's not just having the fullback out there to have him out there how can i make him affect the game in a positive way and that's why these coaching staffs are so good cuz that's how they think it's every inch of grass it's every it's all 22 guys and how they manipulate each other and it's going to be fascinating
1: yeah, no, I'm, I mean, look, unfortunately, we've not had phenomenal games in the playoffs, but yes. this one I'm really looking forward to. I I would have a tough time thinking right now that this game's 16-13, but of <laughs> course you never know. But I, I think both offenses against the opposing defense, to me, is really the fascinating chess match.
0: I totally agree. Greg, that's all we got. I, I really appreciate the time. I really appreciate you coming on. This is always fun, and uh, hopefully we can talk again down the road.
1: Robert, I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Talk to you later. All right, before we get to Jonathan Jones, let's hear from a couple of our sponsors. No team goes into the season without a game plan. If they did, game day highlights would be nothing more than a football follies compilation. And while follies are hilarious, Buffalo Wild Wings knows fans prefer the taste of glory on game day. The kind of glory that comes with having 21 signature sauces and seasonings to choose from. Or a great lineup of cold and refreshing beers on tap. Or a collection of wall-to-wall flat screens so big it would make your head spin. We cover all of those details so they add up to the kind of game day experience fans can appreciate. And we do it because we appreciate fans. So, win or lose, if you're a football fan, you still win at having the best game day atmosphere around. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. We do it for you because you're a football fan. We're also brought to you by Simply Safe. When seeking home security, it's important that you can rely not only on the monitoring system of your choosing, but also your home security providers themselves. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. In fact, thousands of people seeking home security get ripped off every day. They get locked into long-term contracts, stuck writing huge checks, and there's no way out. It's robbery itself and can cost you thousands. But now there's a smarter way to protect your home. Simply Safe Home Security. These are the guys I trust. Here's why. Simply Safe has no contracts, there's no commitment, no lock-ins, period. You get professional monitoring with police dispatch so your home is safe around the clock. Plus it's wireless and portable with a cellular connection built in so there are no lines that can be cut by potential intruders. Best of all, with Simply Safe, 24/7 protection is just 15 bucks a month. Most places charge 3 times that much. It's unbeatable protection, a great value, and there are no contracts. So protect your home the smart way. Visit SimplySafe.com slash ringer to get 10% off your system today. Go now. That's simplysafe.com slash ringer. We're not welcomed by Jonathan Jones of Sports Illustrated, my friend who I have seen. I'm going to say too much of in the last two weeks. That's what I'm going to say.
2: Yeah, yeah,
3: a little too much. I like you, Robert, but, uh, but it's, it's time to go home.
0: We've been hanging out in Atlanta for a while, just kind of being around the Falcons. Jonathan wrote an excellent piece last week that we're going to talk about. Uh, the headline is Atlanta Rising, the Falcons and their fan base embark on a new era. You can read it on SI.com. And it really is just this team in general, when you look at New England and – I'm not saying the the Patriots are boring. Obviously, they're not boring. They're fascinating in like a hundred different ways. But we know the Patriots so well, and they've been around for so long. And that includes their fan base, the way their fan base views their players, the way their fan base views themselves. And the Falcons could not be more different because this is a team going to its second Super Bowl. And it's not just that this team is different from the one that went to the Super Bowl in 98. It's that over that stretch and over really their entire History as a franchise, from the C. Barkowski era to the Dirty Birds to when Arthur Blank bought the team. We've had so many different iterations of them. And this one is distinct, and it's happened at a time when the city has also undergone a huge change. And that's what you wrote about. And I'm curious, over the course of your reporting, over the course of working on it, what's the thing that stuck out to you the most? What's the thing that you are like, wow, I just that's so incredibly fascinating to me?
2: Yeah, so
3: I think it was just how fractured uh this city was for for so long. Like, you know, I I was I was I'm from North Carolina, so I was living in the Charlotte area during the Vic years and I knew you know, obviously what Vic meant to me as someone growing up watching the NFL and seeing someone who, who looked like me, who was doing things that really no one else had, had done before on a football field uh, and who had these sneakers. And, like, you know, football players don't have sneakers. Like, he had yeah. sneakers, right? And so it, it really was amazing. And then you uh, – so if you transpose that idea to Atlanta, what it had to be like here and how how much – how exciting it was – And how Atlanta being a majority black city with a real black quarterback, what that had to be like in the, in the early to mid two thousands. And then what, how, how much of a gut punch it was. And then to understand that a lot of the Atlanta fans and, and what I'm saying by that is uh, a lot of the black Atlanta Falcons fans thought that that the Falcons may not have handled Vic's departure in the right way. Obviously he was guilty. He pleaded guilty. Uh, But before he pleaded guilty, when guilt or innocence was not yet known, a lot of Falcons fans thought that maybe the Falcons washed their hands with Michael a little too early. That they didn't stand up in a press conference and say, we're behind Michael 100%. We're going to see this through uh, as the process plays out. They didn't do that. And that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And so you saw a fracture in the Falcons fan base for... What ha- what happened to be you know the better part of a decade, and so now we're starting to really kind of see this ceiling. and it, it's been a, a a long time coming. It's not that everyone uh, was was hurt back in August. and Now it's they in the Super Bowl, it's okay. You know, it's happened over time, but I thought that was the most interesting part to me.
0: Totally, and and you think that that Matt Ryan is a huge part of that, and just his presence right after Michael Vick left, and the fact that his the love this city has had for him and the appreciation they've had for him has wavered. You know, there have been times where it feels like they did not want him here. And especially last year where it's not that they were trying to run him out of town, but they could have they in their minds, they could have been doing better at quarterback. And now it's kind of interesting that he's the MVP of the league and he's a guy getting MVP chance. And it does feel like when you win, when you have a team that stylistically looks like this one, it's a little bit easier to talk yourself into it. I mean, it, it does cause that fracturing to, not heal necessarily, but to come together a little bit more than it would have if you have a different sort of team even that's this good.
3: Yeah, right. And I think what, what the nation is going to learn this week and certainly next week is there are some personalities on this team, I think. Totally. And you wrote about it uh, over the summer about Julio, who is is a quiet, great NFL receiver. Like if he wanted to be this diva, this what we have come to know wide receivers as, if he wanted to be Chad Johnson, I think a lot of people would be quicker to say, He's the best wide receiver in the NFL, whether, you know, we can argue about him or Antonio Brown. uh, But I think if he put himself out there a little more, he doesn't want that. You know, Matt Ryan, we've talked to him the past several weeks. Like, he is, he's an interesting guy, but he's not going to give you this glimpse into his soul. But they have so many interesting characters along the way. I think that uh, this week and next week, folks are going to be like, you know what, I'm kind of tired of reading about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Let me find out about these Falcons. I think they're going to find some cool stories about them.
0: I always like to, you know, and I'm not around a team. Obviously, I've been around the Falcons a little bit recently. But when I am talking to people that are constantly there, who do you think in that locker room has more of a presence than we probably gave it credit for before we'd spent time with a team?
2: Uh, who,
0: who, who has helped them more in the locker room? Yeah, just like somebody that has, carries more weight than you would have thought.
3: Yeah, I mean, certainly Freeney uh, is yeah. kind of the first name that comes up, and all these guys keep keep talking to Freeney and how much of a veteran he's been. I think a guy like Jonathan Babineau, who yeah. may not make himself all that available in the locker room all the time, but he's the most tenured Falcon, right? He's been here since two thousand five, I think. Uh, he's he's that quiet, steady presence who's been through those ups and downs that, that totally. I talked about in that story, from you know, uh, from from the height of the Vic years to Bobby Petrino leaving the note in his locker. Uh, through the Mike Smith years to now. So probably Babineau if I had to
0: pick one. That's a good point. I mean, he's the only guy there that got that note, that that very, very short note that I absolutely – the fact that that happened is still amazing. And I think my favorite part of it is how pissed off Mike Zimmer still is about it. When anyone brings it up, it just seems like he wants to end Bobby Petrino, which I've always appreciated.
3: It it really is amazing that people send their children to go play for that man after, I know. What he did in Atlanta, <laughs> after what he did in Arkansas. Like, how does a mother sit in sit
0: in there and be like, "Yeah, I'm going to send my son to to, to see you, Bobby Petrino"? Oh, it's so true. It's so so true. Yeah the uh, the Falcon the Jonathan babineau free thing is interesting because the makeup of the defense overall is kind of. Weird, because you have so many young, young guys, and then you have two really old guys. There are very few guys in the middle. There, are, I don't know if there's any 30-year-old players on the Falcons defense, period. And I think that that's actually a good mix, because you have those steadying presences, and then you just have an absurd amount of young talent and young speed, and it just makes for a pretty good product at this point. It took a while to get here, but they're playing pretty well.
3: Yeah, and I think we're going to see that defense evolve over time. What, what kind of led to Mike Smith's ultimate departure? I think was that they just didn't have the talent. They didn't have the awesome yeah. defense. Yeah. So then we saw over the next couple of drafts what they spent it on. The first and second rounders were both defense. We look at Zig yep. Beasley, look at Deion Jones. You know, uh, a couple of other guys, and so now I think we're we're starting to see what what the plan was for Dimitrov. They want an offense. They're going to build around that offense. The offense this season is obviously going to carry the defense, but what they want, I think in the future is uh, obviously with Dan Quinn is a little more balanced. And so we're going to see those guys as they get into their second contract. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's in the late first round. These guys go defense once again for the third straight time.
0: Yeah. And there aren't <laughs> a lot of pieces on offense that you feel like you need. The only thing you probably going to lose is your offensive coordinator which is a problem in and of itself you know i think that his hand in all of this can't be understated it's going to be really interesting when they come back next season with essentially the same group whether or not they'll be able to maintain because it's not just that you can like dial up the same plays you can draw them the same way this offense is about more than that
3: yeah absolutely i've been thinking about that all week is like Yeah, you got Taylor Gabriel now. Uh, You you have Devontae and you have Kevin in the backfield, and you've used them so well back there. And like these these pieces, like Dimitrov and and, and Shanahan, they understand that it is about the, the, you know, it's not necessarily about the plays, it's about the players. And so, you know, they have these pieces, but now they have to make these pieces fit with what will ultimately be a new offensive coordinator. And I don't think that we've really looked ahead to see who the Falcons could pick up as an offensive coordinator or if they will hire from within on that. Uh, but but that's, that's an interesting point to me is, yeah, this offense is clicking top 10 all time in terms of points. But even with the same pieces next year, will they have the same production without Shanahan?
0: Yeah, it really is just one of those things where if you can – You'll try to maintain continuity as much as you can. You'll probably promote someone from the staff that knows the offense. I would that would be my guess, or you'll try to go get someone that really will implement the same thing. You'll almost guarantee they'll make you. You'll make them guarantee you that they'll, they'll do the same thing. But that doesn't always guarantee that it's going to work. It doesn't necessitate that. It's going to be the same exact offense, just from a feel perspective. So, I think we should celebrate the Falcons if they do win, instead of looking ahead and saying, "Oh shoot, it's over." But it's still is just something to keep in mind. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, it is. And look, it, it just—it's just—it's just like Denver. Like you know, uh, they—they—they're in this position now. But so what? They got another Lombardi Trophy. Like if Atlanta can bring home their first Lombardi, like yeah, they'll worry about 2017
0: later on. Yeah, exactly. So one other thing I wanted to ask you about that I it was a pressing question. Has it always been weird to you that Ludacris wanted to have sex in the Georgia Dome while they were kicking a field goal? It just seems like there's way more exciting things that could be happening.
3: <laughs> I, you know, I wish I would have actually broken down exactly what 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 was going on. I'll tell you this funny story because I could not fit it into into my story, but. So, I'm um, falling around Ludacris uh, during his halftime performance of the divisional round game against Seattle. And Usher is, is there, and he's also from Atlanta. And so, like, Falcons Entertainment's trying to get Usher to, uh, uh, to go on and perform, yeah, with Ludacris. And they'll pipe in little John, you know, oh, yeah, we'll pay you some money. Don't worry about it. Well, Usher, who uh, appears to be inebriated, like, he, he grabs the <laughs> game ball on the sideline, and he's just kind of tossing in the air, you know, uh, the, handling it a little bit. And then. All of a sudden, the set's over, and they walk out, and Usher just takes the game ball with him. And so if there was a missing game ball from the divisional round game, it is because Usher just up and took it at halftime. Well,
0: I, uh, that's one of the things I appreciated the most about that story is just that you thought to try to talk to Ludacris knowing he would be there. And then he gave you really good stuff. He was so insightful. I was like, man, Ludacris is really into this.
3: Yeah, I mean, we talked for like – I don't know, maybe ten minutes, and he was he was awesome, and we talked about Atlanta rap and the evolution of it. He, he was like, yeah, you know, I, I I appreciate what the young guys are doing. Now that doesn't mean I listen to all of it or I have to like all of it, but I'm not going to talk bad about them because nobody talked bad about me from Atlanta when I was coming up.
0: <laughs> uh, it's so great, yeah, it's a fun moment. I feel like it's just for the city, for the franchise, you know, for players like Matt Ryan and even guys like Julio. We know Julio's great. But it's fun that Julio Jones gets this stage because he always deserved to be a guy we talk about with everybody else. And now he gets to prove it. He gets to prove it against Belichick and the guy that probably has the best chance of shutting him down. I thought it was funny yesterday, Kyle Shanahan, saying that he laughed when people said the Patriots defense is overrated. So It's the best defense we've seen this year. And I think that that makes for a matchup that couldn't be more interesting.
3: Yeah, and we all know that Belichick—he obviously has always seemed to take away the opponent's best player, and clearly the opponent's best player is Julio Jones. But you know that's the thing about these Falcons—is they have won plenty of games, and probably should have won even more games. We think about the Chargers game, we think about the Chiefs game uh, from the regular season, where Julio only had a couple of catches for you know 45 yards or whatever. But then an Austin Hooper steps up, uh, Taylor Gabriel has a big day. Mohammed Sanu was clicking there early on against the the Packers. Like, It's not that they have a bunch of household names that will just completely take you over, but Shanahan has schemes like, all right, you guys want to take away Julio. We have the speed. We have some guys out of the backfield. I have a team that can beat you without Julio.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be worth watching. All right, man, that's all we got. I, uh, I really appreciate you doing this. I will see you in like an hour again. <laughs>
3: Sounds good, brother. Appreciate it. See ya.
0: We're now welcomed by the founder of footballoutsiders.com. Aaron Schatz, thank you for coming out and doing this. Always appreciate it.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on. It's always good to be with you and the ringer.
0: And uh, let's dig into just all the numbers surrounding what I think is a fascinating Super Bowl. I want to start with the Falcons' offense, just because when you look at so much of what they've done on a standard numbers from a standard numbers perspective, points per game, or you know, just that yards per play, everything that we usually use to measure an offense, they've been great. When you look at it a little bit more complexity, the way you guys do, are they as good as we think they are?
2: The Falcons, yes. The offense is even better than we think it is, to be honest. Um, Atlanta played the second hardest schedule of opposing defenses this year.
0: And that was, it was first for a while. Did they get knocked off at the end with New Orleans?
2: Yeah, it was first for a long time, and then they played New Orleans in the final week. New Orleans was a terrible defense. But Carolina and Tampa were both top 12 defenses. The AFC West, mostly good defenses, other than Oakland. The NFC West, and this is something, by the way, that the Patriots and Falcons have in common, they both played the NFC West this year. Well, the NFC West this year was four teams that were really good on defense and really bad on offense, except for the Seahawks for some of the season. So... Everybody who played the NFC West this year ended up with offenses that didn't look as good as they really were and defenses that looked better than they really were.
0: Yeah, I mean and that's that really is, and that's and it's not even just that. It's that they played a really good slate of defenses, and when they didn't play a good defense, they absolutely destroyed them. And I think that's the mark of a good team. You know, you guys have talked about this for years. You need to beat up the teams that are worse than you, and that's what they did. It wasn't just that they had a couple of blips of forty-point games. It's that whenever they played a defense that's even slightly below average, they absolutely destroyed them.
2: Right, although for most of the season, that only went one way, right? I mean, 45 against the Saints, but they let the Saints score 32. 48 against the Panthers, but they let the Panthers score 33. Now, at the end of the season, the defense improved a bit. So you have the Rams, 42-14. The 49ers, 41-13. The playoffs, the defense has played well because those are much better offensive teams, Green Bay and Seattle with Wilson healthy and they allowed just 20 and 21. The thing is, the Patriots' defense has been gradually improving throughout the year, whereas the Falcons' defense was pretty much bad all year till you get to like mid-December, and then it gets better. And even there, by our numbers, in the last five games, the Atlanta defense has not been as good as the Patriots' defense. But the Atlanta offense is so good that it helps even things out a little bit.
0: And when you break it down even further with the Falcons, it's interesting. You sent me these numbers last week when I was writing about the Falcons defense. They were 11th in pass defense DVA over the second half of the season and 32nd run defense, which makes sense because you lose a guy like Adrian Claiborne, but the guys in your defense that are young are the guys in the back end, the, the faster guys. So it makes sense that their run defense would get worse with the personnel they've lost and their pass defense would get better.
2: And I think some of it is also maybe playing more nickel, Uh, you know, that makes it easier to run on you. Uh, It's really interesting. You know, Desmond Trufant, the eye test, the the film-watching scout test, Desmond Trufant is their best corner. Yes. But that pass defense improved when Desmond Trufant went out. And by our charting over the last couple of years, Trufant doesn't come out better than Robert Alford. They come out about the same. The thing about the run defense, I will say, though, for the – Uh, For the Falcons, is that in the two playoff games, it's been really good. Now, I mean, it helps that they basically took the running game away from Green Bay last week, and then Green Bay had offensive line injuries, but they also really slowed down Thomas Rawls the week before. The one thing the Falcons have been really susceptible to is quarterback scrambles, But that is not really a worry unless the first two New England quarterbacks are.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about the Patriots a little bit. If you take out the first four weeks where Brady wasn't playing, how much does how much does it affect their overall offensive numbers?
2: Oh, it, it absolutely does uh, tremendously. And and most of that, by the way, is for set. I mean, Garoppolo. Yeah. Um, did not did not play as well as people think in the first week, to be honest. Uh, but some of that is that the Arizona defense is, you know, really good. But Brissett was was not that good, even in the big win over Houston, and then of course terrible in week four against Buffalo because he had a hurt thumb. Uh, but if you take those four games out of uh, of if you take those four games out of the year, and you look just at the regular season the Patriots have the best offense in the league. It's not leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the league. If you look at just weeks five through 17, the Patriots are 26% above average. The Falcons are 24% above average, and the Cowboys 22% above average. The real improvement when you take out the first four weeks is not the Brady games with Brady. It's the defense being better because the defense just wasn't good in the first four weeks except against Houston and, you know, Osweiler, so asterisk.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. What would you attribute the Patriots' defense improvement to? Because it's not as if they got somebody back necessarily. It just feels like they've they stayed healthy and they understood how the pieces fit together by the end. Their flexibility really is shown up a ton lately.
2: It's hard to to put it into. It's hard to figure out exactly what the cause is without a lot of intricate film study, which I will admit is not my area of expertise. There's definitely, I think, a sense of knowing how the parts fit together better. Um, there may be something to the idea that Jamie Collins, that they felt that yeah. he improvised too much because so much of the Patriots defense is about guys doing their jobs. I mean, it's a slogan, but it really is what, what they do. And not all great defenses do that, by the way, right? The great, this of the Ravens defense has often been about when players improvise. That's why point. the Ravens like lateral, lateral on turnover returns more than anybody else over the last 10 years. Like, the Ravens aren't great because everyone does their job. The Ravens tend to be great because everybody, like, improvises and does amazing things. The Patriots are great because everyone does their job. So maybe that ability and the fact that this team has been quite healthy over the course of the year, other than Gronkowski.
0: It's uh, remarkable. The
2: defense in particular has been quite healthy. Uh, They also, I think, moved Logan Ryan to the slot more, used more of Eric Rowe on the outside. They also started to introduce a little bit more blitzing. They have this cornerback blitz with Logan Ryan that's been really good for them over the last few weeks. And by the way, Atlanta was very susceptible to defensive back blitzes this year, according to ESPN stats and info charting. And so I bet we'll see that play a couple of times. If you think about it, it makes sense that when you blitz defensive back you keep away from Alex Mack, right? Normally you think, oh man, bring interior pressure. But I don't know if that's going to work the best against the Falcons because Alex Mack is so
0: yeah, yeah, he, he plays, really which I'm
2: assuming he will, even I, though, I'm uh, guessing even though he's he didn't playing. practice for first week. Yeah, I'm guessing he's playing in Julio too.
0: If you're looking at this Patriots team, I guess it's the offense compared to other ones we've seen, is it in the conversation with a, a unit like 2011 or is that just totally on a different plane?
2: No, totally on a different plane. The okay. so 2007 and 2011 offenses for the Patriots, and 2010 I will add as well, even though that team was upset by the Jets in the playoffs, are among the best offenses we've ever tracked uh, in EBOA for, you know, whatever, 30 years of numbers that we're going to have soon once we debut the 86 to 88 numbers over the next few weeks. So uh, th- this is a good offense, very good. But it is not historic in the same way those others are. And by the way, even though Atlanta had all these points and yards, they are not a historically top-ten offense either. Partly, they ran a ton of plays. Their, yeah. their games had a lot of plays because the other teams were scoring a lot, and therefore the ball was going back and forth. Atlanta had to score late into the games. They didn't run the clock out as much. But it is the best of this year, Absolutely.
0: And on a points-per-drive basis, they're very, very good. I mean, that's what I looked at the other day. It was really up there with the the 07 Patriots were the only teams that were better over the last 20 years or so. So I thought that was pretty impressive. They score when they get the ball.
2: Right. I think the the flip of that is that there were a few too many turnovers for them to be a really historically great offense. Whereas, like, for example, the Patriots, you know, Tom Brady would throw like three or four picks in a year, or this year, two and then two in the playoffs, so four, but you know what I'm saying.
0: If you're looking at, last thing I'll ask you, if you're kind of checking out just individual numbers, where these teams are good and bad, is there one area do you think that will come back and haunt them, something that the other team can really take advantage of?
2: Well, I mean, look, if you look over the course of the year, the Falcons defense is just not good. That run defense, I'll bet we see a lot of Deion Lewis early and flunt late. Uh, we're going see them run, uh, we're going to see them run against the Falcons. The Patriots are much more sort of balanced. They're not as good on offense as the Falcons are uh, but the defense has been better over the course of the year. The, the, I think the biggest thing here is pass rushes, right because we're so used to the importance of a great pass rush and last year especially you know not the Super Bowl was Carolina and Denver and those were two really great pass rushes. These are not two great pass rushes. This is one great pass rusher. The Patriots, you know, okay, Trey Flowers will get there sometimes, or Chris Long, or they'll scheme something like the cornerback blitz where you get to the quarterback. But they're near the bottom of the league in just the back rate. Atlanta, my God, the pass rush is almost entirely Vic Beasley. There are yeah. a lot of pressures from Dwight Freeney when he comes in. But, which it, I mean, people forget Dwight Freeney is on this team. <laughs> it's hard to remember that he's there, but Dwight Freeney is still in the league and he's on this team and he might win a second Super Bowl ring. But um, other than that, there's really not a lot of pass rush here. So, I mean, I think the Patriots will need to blitz to bring a lot of pressure, which, I mean, Ryan's numbers this year, he did do better uh, against three or four pass rushers than he did against the blitz. It's interesting. The Patriots rushed three more than any team in the league and that is not a good strategy against Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan 10.4 yards per play best in the league when the opponent rushed three. Don't do that (laughs) but if they blitz a little bit more than they are used to, that is more likely to get it. Here's another one from looking at TBOA breakdown versus types of receivers. Atlanta's big weaknesses this year were against slot receivers and running backs in the passing game. Uh, Brian Poole is a nice story as an undrafted free agent who plays nickelback for them, but he's not particularly good by NFL standards. And, of course, Patriots love, love to spread it around to those slot guys. And as far as the running backs, of course, James White, Deion Lewis, uh, certainly able to have big games. The Patriots' struggles against receivers were sort, more sort of spread out around, spread around the, the field which kind of works for the Falcons because what made their offense work so much this year is spreading the ball around. Like Julio Jones is always this good. What made the offense better was the ability to find Gabriel and Sanu and Austin Hooper when they were open.
0: Totally. All right, that's uh that's all we got. Aaron again, I always really appreciate the time. I know you got a lot going on this time of year. And uh we'll chat soon. Enjoy this, enjoy the game.
2: Absolutely, I will. People should remember to check out the Ball Outsiders because a couple of days after this podcast goes up there'll be a gigantic stat pack super bowl preview just because it's do. not there now doesn't mean it won't be there next
0: <laughs> it is invaluable stuff always check it out i mean it's one of the resources that i totally lean on all the time and we appreciate the work you guys do all right i'll talk to you soon be well man All right, that's all we got today. Thank you so much to Greg, to Jonathan, to Aaron. We wanted to give you guys a little bit of a well-rounded view of the game. Hit the numbers, hit some of the scouting, talk about some of the personalities and just the stakes that we have going on here. We'll be back next week with a lot of our regularly scheduled programming. You know, we'll have Kevin and Danny back. May have some extra shows for you just because of the Super Bowl week. But as always, we sincerely appreciate you guys listening and talk to you soon.